0: Exodus chapter 3, as I mentioned, and I want to begin reading in verse number 1 of Exodus 3, where the Bible says, "...Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert, and come to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed." And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here am I. And he said, draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham. The God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, "I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt. And they heard and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows, and am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good land, And a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come up unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt." Well for many of us this is a familiar story and in a big picture way we know that we can see Jesus on every page of the Bible and, and, and when I think about the Lord calling this man Moses to come down and be the deliverer of his people through the blood of the Lamb, I cannot help but think about a people that were also in bondage, not bondage to Pharaoh but bondage, in bondage to sin all mankind under the cruel taskmaster of Satan, under the bondage and the chains of sin. And I want to tell you, I'm glad there's a God in heaven that still hears the cry of lost souls. He hears their cries. I I love the way, the, the, the Bible says this, for I know their sorrows. So in this case, he's sending Moses down to Egypt. But in a greater way, Jesus Christ was sent to this earth. Why? To seek and to save that which was lost. He came to bring, come to live. He came to give his life on the cross. He come to rise again on the third day so that all men may be saved. So that through the blood of the lamb, men might be delivered. And so... The thing as we look at this I want to think about as well is that we are told by the Lord Jesus Christ to go and do likewise. When we look at the, the, the Good Samaritan, is another example of Jesus coming to where somebody's at to help deliver them. And we are told to go do just like Jesus did. In our text, God uses a, calls a man, an ordinary man, a flawed man, an old man to do a work for himself. And I want to say today that God is still calling people to go. God still hears the cries of those. He still knows the sorrows of those who are around us today. And he wants us to go and I want to challenge you today as we approach missions revival, I can't help but think of the some of the misconceptions that easily leak into our minds as Christians oftentimes. You know, we, we need to be praying about how you're going to increase and what you're going to give, because we understand that's a great, great part of missions, right? That's kind of what we do. But if we're not careful, we can forget about the go. Yes, that's right. We can forget about the go of missions. And hey, many of you are saying, well, Pastor, that's... <laughs> I know that God does not want me to go to some other place. I know that God doesn't want me to go to some other country, so, so what is left for me is simply to give. I have nothing else to do but to give now. But that shows the misconception that we have. You are still called to go, just as I am called to go. Go, go thou, do likewise, follow the Lord's pattern. Not only that, you go but you go where the people are. See, what I mean to say is this. Missions is not just across the seas. And this church well knows that missions is across the states. But sometimes we forget that missions is across the street. Therefore, every one of us, every one of us are called to go. Go. There are lost people all around us. Thank God for what you guys did today with the, with the family festival and just trying to get folks in and, and, and love on them and, and you know, think outside the box a little bit because sometimes even in our going to reach people, I mean, this is an independent Baptist church. We believe in soul winning, right? But if we're not careful, our soul winning can be just limited to you know here we are living our holy lives up on this plane, and we put on our rubber gloves and we hold our breath <gasps> to come down here and uh, hey Jesus loves you, I'd love you to come to church would you like to be saved? Well I don't know, okay well you know my number and please we'd love you and, and, and we just kind of, almost like we don't want to get too dirty you know, right? Uh, and, and so we think oh I'm doing my job I'm preaching to them you know, I, I gave them a track but see going is more than that If you don't believe it, look how Jesus went. Jesus went right where the people were. Now, we understand this. Jesus, this is, what kind of man was Jesus? I know this about Jesus. Little kids wanted to be around Jesus. They loved him, right? But I know something else about Jesus. He was a friend of publicans and sinners. Publicans and sinners wanted to be around Jesus. What kind of man was he? Now, that doesn't mean that you go to the ridiculous extreme of sitting in bars, having Bible studies. and, and we, 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 but, but at the same time, if we're not careful, we overcorrect. Sure. Hey, go. In other words, one of the greatest pieces of advice I believe I was ever given by Bruce DeLange, who many of you know, when I, a year before I moved to South Dakota, is that I asked him, I said, brother, if there was any advice that you could give me, what would it be? And he said, just love the people where they are. Love them where they are. And sometimes we're not very good at loving people where they are, right? But we love people where they are. Where are they? They're in a mess. They're in sin. They're in bondage. You know, some Christians get mad at, get mad at unsaved people for acting unsaved, talking unsaved, living unsaved. And if we're not careful, we come down and try to get them living right and talking right and spitting white. Right when really what they need is they need to be saved, right? You don't go to a blind man and say, hey, buddy, you really need to see. Why are you always bumping into stuff, right? No, he don't see. Lost people are lost, and they're in bondage, and God hears their cry. And what I want to say today quickly is this, that people that are in the world around us have a need for Jesus and Jesus cares deeply about them. Do you? Do you? Do you care about, oh, they're living such sinful lifestyles, they're so wicked. Exactly. That's why we need to love them. That's why we need to care about them. That's why we need to ask them about their families, get to know people, text people, I'm praying for you. I mean, listen, be willing to listen to people and what they're going through. You know, as a pastor, I run into people sometimes that are angry with God. I run into people sometimes who hate God. Well, I bet you give them an earful, pastor. Well, no, I don't. Because if what I knew of God is what they know of God, which isn't my God, I'd probably hate God too. If I grew up in the religion they grew up in and the home they grew up in, I would probably think, well, if that's God, no, thank you. Yeah. See, we, we get the wrong, it's a, it's a case of mistaken identity. You know, it's, it's, it's like somebody saying, coming up to me and saying, and, and, and I just say, hey, do you, have, do you know Jason Jett? And they're like, oh, you mean the ax murderer out in Montana or something? You know, he's a terrible person, <laughs> right? I'm not gonna get mad and say, well, let me tell you something. I don't appreciate you talking about Pastor Jett that way, right? Yeah, I'm gonna say, I get it, but I'd like to tell you about The real Jason Jed, the one that I know. And that's what we need to do. We need to have passion and and, and patience when it comes to people. All right? And so every one of us, I believe this. You are, you listen to me closely, every one of you that are here tonight, you have been placed on this earth for such a time as this. For such a time as this. You are not where you are by accident. No matter where you may be in this life, you are not there by accident. You are here for such a time as this. And I don't know what you imagine it looks like to hear God speak. In our text, God spoke through a burning bush. But the odds are that's not going to be how God speaks to you. God speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us through the Holy Spirit of God. Many times as Christians, if we're not careful, we sit around praying and waiting for God to lead us. When God's already told us. You know, one of the best uh, pieces of advice I think I ever got was uh, that that you don't need a voice when you got a verse. God says to do it, you do it, right? And much of what we have is the instruction from the word of God. But what we see is if we're not careful, when we look at Moses here, we're going to look at how God worked in Moses' life to help him come to the place. See, God calls each of us to be where we are, where we are. And sometimes you may feel like your life is infinitely ordinary, run-of-the-mill boring. You feel like any purpose that you may have couldn't be that significant. But I'm telling you, there is not a soul that's insignificant. And so if you have contact with a soul the people you work with, the people in your home, whoever it may be. Folks, I'm telling you, you are significant. You've got a purpose. But God often does things different, doesn't he? You think about Moses here. Moses was 80 years old. You know when, when, when Moses was 40, he tried to be a missionary? He, he tried to deliver his countrymen, right? When he saw him getting beat by an Egyptian. But it wasn't time. So instead of being a missionary, Moses became a murderer. And it wasn't that God didn't want Moses to be a deliverer. He did. But it wasn't time yet. Because with God, timing is always more important than time. Our Lord is never in a hurry. Yet our Lord is never late. But what we see is Moses asks a couple questions, and then God asks some questions. And I want to show you these things and try to send you about your way. But notice, first of all, the wrong question here. Verse 11. The Bible says, And Moses said unto God, Who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt. You know, life has a, has a way of introducing and reminding us of who we really are. You ever get frustrated with who you are? You ever get down on who you are? Moses is like, who am I? I've been out here 40 years doing like nothing. Who am I? But I think it's an interesting thing because when you read right here, God does not answer his question about who he is. He does not say, well, I'm going to tell you who you are. Because the fact of the matter is, what I want to try to encourage you to do tonight is to get your eyes off of yourself. Sure. To get your eyes off of your limitations. To get your eyes off of what you can't do and who you may not be. And I want you to get your eyes on the Lord. Amen. And that's what, that's what God tries to do with Moses. Who am I, he says. But notice what God says. He, he, he ignored that question. And here's what he says in verse 12. And he said, Certainly I will be with thee. And this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. In other words, God is saying, It doesn't make any difference who you are. Who am I? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you are, it matters who God is. And what really makes the difference in your life is the presence of God. Are you saved? If you're saved, you have the Lord with you. So it's not important who you are, it's important who he is. It's important that he is with you. His presence makes the difference. If we could just discover the wisdom of this truth, it matters very little who you are. But everything is dependent upon God's power. God gives something pretty awesome here in verse 14. Of course, it's a pretty famous passage where God says unto Moses, I am that I am. He says, who shall I say sent me? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. I am hath sent me unto you. But when you, you, you fast forward, so let's just think about that. I am that I am. God's trying to work with Moses, but he comes back to himself again. Skip ahead to chapter 4, verse 10. The Bible says, and Moses said unto the Lord, "Oh my Lord, I am not. So just think about that. God says, I am. But Moses is like, well, God, I'm not. Lord, I am not eloquent. Neither heretofore, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb or deaf or the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Man, that's something else. Because you think about this a second. God could have made Moses the most eloquent speaker ever. Did God not know he was going to call Moses to go speak to the most powerful man in the world? Why did God not just make him this, you know, wonderful voice, you know, this, I mean, just deep thundering and, you know, how these guys, I mean, why didn't he do that? Moses said, well, I'm not, I'm not very eloquent, Lord. You know, of course, many people believe he had some sort of speech impediment, right? And so he's there again, he's looking at himself. I mean, I'm not eloquent, But God says, who made man's mouth? God could have made you that way. But I'm telling you, the reason He doesn't is because God wants to get the glory. Do not trip over what you cannot do. Trust God for what He can do. Don't get caught up with who you aren't. Find out who God is. Amen. You see, who God is, all that God is, is all we need to meet the demands of life. I'll say that again. All that God is is all we need to meet the demands of life. Furthermore, who God is eliminates all of our excuses. Any of you got any excuses? Who God is eliminates our excuses. Who God is eliminates any reason we may come up with why we cannot. Think about it this way. God's answer. Moses says, I am not, but God says, I am. Amen. Think about that. Somebody says, well, you you preacher, you don't understand. I'm not really capable. You know what? God says, I am. (laughs) I am. You think about that. I am not strong. I am. Amen. Maybe God's calling you to preach. Maybe God's calling you to speak. Well, I I, I don't really have the courage. Uh, you know, I I'm, I'm not a very brave, courageous person to speak out to somebody. Well, you know what? God says, I am. Amen. I am. Amen. Amen. In other words, look to who the great I am is—the self-existent God. He is the one. Yes. Hey, anybody? I'm not smart. <laughs> God says, I am. I'm plenty smart. Amen. Amen. For the both of us, we're okay. Right? I'm not disciplined. You just go down the line. Who God is eliminates any excuse. Who God is answers the question of what is it we can do? We can do whatever He calls us to do. He's the Creator, He's Elohim, He's the God of the covenant, Jehovah, He's the Lord, Adonai. He is El the Almighty, He is El Shaddai, the gracious giver. He's Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. He's Jehovah Nissi, the Lord our banner. He's Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. He's Jehovah Sabbath, the Lord of hosts. He's Jehovah Sikinu, the Lord our righteousness. He's Jehovah Shammah, the Lord who is there. When Jesus came, he introduced us to the Father as Abba. Amen. Father And I want to say today, that's him. Folks, yes. today you need to understand this, that God's commandments are God's empowerments. So God says to Moses, I want you to go. I want you to speak. I want you to do this. Moses had all the, these reasons why he couldn't. But when God tells you to do something, that's where the power's at in his word. Yes. And your faith, see, faith, we, we talk about faith, right? faith really isn't just about, you know, when it comes to our Christian faith today, folks, it's not believing in spite of evidence. Right. Yeah, that's right. The Christian faith is extremely logical. Yes, it is. What faith is about, it's not about believing in spite of evidence, but it's about obeying sure. in spite of consequence. It's about obeying regardless of whatever excuses we may have. Uh-huh. So Jesus comes to the earth. And imagine this. He comes to the man with the withered hand. And he says to the man, stretch forth your hand. Uh Well, wait a second, Lord, that's kind of the problem. I can't stretch forth my hand, it's been, but no, that man had to believe and his commandments was his empowerment. Rise up and walk. Well, that's kind of the problem, Lord, I've been sitting here for years and not able to rise up. Hey, but God said do it. Listen, if he tells you to do it, he will give you the power to do it because he's the great I am. It's not about who you are. It's not about what you cannot do. It's about what he can do and what he calls us to do. You know, there's an interesting uh, thing when it comes to pressure. At sea level, we're pretty close to sea level, probably 300 feet or so above sea level right at the moment. At sea level, atmospheric pressure applies about 15 pounds per square inch to your body. I'll say that again. At sea level, atmospheric pressure, barometric pressure applies about 15 pounds per square inch on your body. So as you sit there this very moment, there is there are tons of pressure pushing down on every part of your body right now. Can you feel it? You don't feel it, right? I did the math. I'm about 3,000 square inches. Multiplied by 15 pounds, that's 45,000 pounds of pressure as I stand here speaking to you right now. That's that's pressing in on me. Well, there's a logical question that says, well, pastor, why are you not just, you know, squished, right? Squeezed up. The reason why is that I've got pulmonary pressure. I've got pressure on the inside. And the pressure that I have on the inside is enough to withstand the pressure on the outside. So I don't even notice the pressure on the outside. Really, it's just there. Because there's something on the inside that resists the pressure on the outside And so, the answer to the question is understanding that the I am is not only just equal to whatever excuses and pressures and and things that are coming in upon us, folks, he is exceeding abundantly above all of that stuff. Oh, my friend, listen, he is able to save, he's able to keep, he's able to empower, he's able to use. What a great God! Ephesians 3.20, the Bible says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Every challenge we meet is God's challenge. That's a blessing to me. Pastor Jed, I, I often say this. When we're having a meeting and we're discussing things at the church, I say, hey, before we start, I just want to remind everybody that whatever problems we're facing, they're Jesus' problems because this is His church. Yeah, amen. Yeah, that's good. Whatever things we're trying to accomplish, that's up to Jesus to do, right? It's his, and we're just trying to figure out the best way to do it, right? And how He's going to empower us. But ultimately, folks, we understand that every challenge is His challenge. Now, the Lord asked another question to Moses, and it's cool because he's trying to point something else out to Moses. In chapter four, notice in verse one, the Bible says, and Moses answered and said, but behold, they will not believe me, this guy. By the way, I can remember probably my first time ever reading through the Bible, I can remember thinking to myself, what's wrong with these people? Right, anybody else? Uh, I mean, God opened up the Red Sea for these people, come on. I mean, you know, he's performed miracle after miracle, and just just like that, they're doubting God and wanting to kill Moses and go back. What's wrong with these people? Well, that was a little earlier in my Christian life. By the next time I read through there, I'm like, oh. This sounds familiar. I I recognize these people. And it's not you out there. It is you out there, but it's also me right here. Right? Right? And I begin to recognize this. But here's Moses. He's still going on. But Moses, behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice. For they will say, the Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, what is that in thine hand? And Moses said, this is the rod of God. In the Charlton Heston voice, you know. No, no. He says it like this. I mean, he's just standing there, this old 80-year-old shepherd with a stick in his hand. Lord, they're not going to believe me. What is that in your hand? A a rod? (laughs) This little stick that I found in the desert and picked up and trimmed and cut and, you know, kind of use it for the sheep and all that. It's just a rod. It's it's nothing fancy, Lord. It's just a a common stick, you know, that's kind of shaped for my common purposes. He says a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground, and and he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from before it, and the Lord said unto Moses, put forth thine hand and take it by the tail. Now that's where I would have had a hard time, I'm just telling you right now. And he put forth his hand, and he called it, and it became a rod in his hand. So so, so here it is. What is that in thy hand? He did not say, uh, Moses, uh, exactly how long did you go to school? What were your grades? What's your resume look like? He didn't say that. He said, what is that in your hand, Moses? What's in your hand? He did not say, now Moses, let's sit and talk, you know, I've, I've got this job. I'm looking for a guy that can go down into Egypt and speak to Pharaoh and I just need to know, what's your experience? What's your abilities? He didn't say that. He says, what is that in thine hand? A simple question. He didn't say any of that. He did not say, you know, what do you lack? What do you have? He said, no, what is that in thine hand? And his response is just simply a rod. A rod. An insignificant, common rod. That's all it was. It's it's one that he would probably used many over the last 40 years there in the wilderness. It's just a rod. You can find them all over the place. And this one's not much more impressive than any of the other ones that you could probably find out there. But I want to say today and ask you that same question. God asked the question. He asked the question, what is that in thine hand? What do you have? He said, well, I don't have this and I don't have that. That's not the question. What do you have? Because every one of you have something. Every one of you. From the youngest to the oldest, you all have something. And whatever it is that you have, it came from God. Right? This knowledge will produce a couple things. For one thing, if God has put this whatever it is in my hand, then I have no room to boast. I can't grumble. I can't be jealous of what somebody else has because God has put this in my, this is what I have. This is what's in my hand. Oh, my friend, think about the wonder of God's grace, the depths of God's mercy. God saved us by his grace. He places us us in Christ. He gifts us for his purposes. And then in return, he rewards us for what he does through our lives. It's not about you, it's about him. It's not about what you don't have. What do you have? What influence do you have? You, you say, well, not much, preacher. Well, hold on. Maybe there's a mom that says, I'm a stay-at-home mom. I don't have much influence. Excuse me? Right, right. Excuse me? Yep, yep. Come on. Oh, I don't have no influence. I just worked down at the shop with a couple guys. Well, excuse, you, well there's a couple guys down there? Yeah, right. Sounds like you got some influence, yes, sir. right? You, you know somebody. You kids, you know somebody I mean, listen, you have influence. I mean, God can use what you have. Think about this. An insignificant rod committed to the father became a serpent before Pharaoh. Moses stretched this same rod over the waters of Egypt and they became blood. Over the rivers and frogs came out toward the heaven and it thundered and stormed hail and fire. Locusts over the, the the, the Red Sea was eventually divided. God did the work into the response of obedience with the rod. What do you have? You have a life. You have time. The question is, will you quit looking at yourself? Will you quit making excuses and just say, Lord, I give you it all. I'm not thinking about what I don't have, what I can't do. I'm focused on what you've called me to do, what you said I can do, you can do through me. And Lord, I put down myself before you. I'm glad God can use a life. I'm glad when I was 16 years old, I heard the gospel and the Lord saved my soul. Uh, I've had a couple of kind of funny experiences, uh, you know, that, that followed that. For one thing, before I got saved, I was 16, but I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I was raised around drugs. I did drugs for the first time when I was like probably five or six years old and continued that for many years. And, uh, but the Lord saved me out of that lifestyle. Yeah. Several years after I was saved, a couple, two or three years after I got saved, a guy that used to be my supplier, I found out that his dad was dying. So I went up to the hospital with him to visit his dad in the hospital. His name was Jerry, and while Jerry and I are on the elevator, Jerry looks over at me, and, uh, and he says, you know what, Jesse? He says, out of all the guys that you used to run around with, and, you know, I'm thinking, okay. I was thinking maybe he's going to say, you know, you're just, you're just always the great guy. I mean, you know, what, what? but you know what he said? He said, out of all the guys that you ran around with, you were the one that I knew would be dead in a ditch somewhere before you ever turned 20 years old. You were the one. <laughs> I'm like, wow, okay, thanks. You know, a, a pastor's opinion means a lot to you, you know, and, and, and your dad was your pastor for many years and then you were on staff and your pastor's opinion means a lot, a lot. My, my pastor came out and preached for me when I was out in Peer. And, uh, and he was out there preaching. Before, before he preached one evening, he got up and he said, he said, you know, he said, I'm just thankful for, for all that God's done and doing through uh, Brother Jesse. And, and then he, he kind of getting a little emotional. He said, you know, I just, just got to say, Jesse, out of all the guys at Bible college, out of all those guys you ran around with, and again, I'm thinking, okay, you know, you were just, there was something about you. You know, you, you were just, just a cut above. No. He said, out of all those losers, you were the one that I knew would never amount to anything. (laughs) Ain't that cool? That's awesome, right? I'm I'm not making that up. But you know what I do? I praise God for that. Because what you're looking at today, standing before you, is somebody who on his own, number one, is white trash, an utter loser, I mean, just a total mess. But I came to God one day and said, Lord, I give this to you. I give you my life. Lord, I will go anywhere you want me to go. I'll do anything you want me to do. And it has never once been about who am I, Lord. And it's never once been about, well, they won't believe me. No, it has been all the way, all the way my Savior leads me. It has all been about Him. And if anybody knows me today, there's only one person who can get the glory, and that is the Lord, amen? And I I don't know who you are. I don't know what you have to lay down. But I tell you, if you don't give anything else today, give your life. Surrender surrender God wanted to bring these people out to a land with milk and honey Jesus said I've come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly yes give pray about giving pray about doing more oh but may I pray that you'll be like those Macedonian Christians that first of all said I'm going to give myself I'm going to give myself, I'm going to surrender myself afresh and anew. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Oh, my friend, we can just, just give it to Him. Lay it down, no strings attached. There was a youth message I used to preach every once in a while and and while I was preaching, fellas, I would go around and I'd start laying blank sheets of paper on the altar. Blank sheets of paper on the altar. And then finally, I would come down to the end and I'd say, how many of you would be willing today to come down and sign your name at the bottom of that paper and give it back to God and say, God, you just fill in the blanks. See, because that's not always how we work. There's almost all of us. We all have something to where we're like, Lord, I'll do anything. But except for that's that's not surrender. You don't kind of surrender. You don't surrender a little bit. You say, Lord, whatever. I'm taking my hands off. And I want to challenge you to do that today. What do you have in your hand? What do you have? You got a little bread, a little fish, a little oil? Jael had a hammer and a nail. Shamgar had an ox's goad and killed 600. Samson had a jawbone. Gideon had a pitcher and a trumpet. We all have time. We all have a life. We all have possessions, influence, the gospel. Like Abraham, we tend to fall in love with the things that God places in our hands. Think about that. What do you have in your hand? They may represent the fulfillment of God's promise or His provision. We tend to forget that that which He's given us is meant to be invested, not hoarded, not buried in the ground until the Lord comes. That's that's quite a picture, hiding such a great treasure in our bodies from the ground. It takes faith to lay it down. so as we all stand here this evening and as the musicians come, I want to challenge you today. Would you be willing to lay it down? Who am I? Who, who are you? doesn't matter. God knows who you are. And He speaks to you. If you're here and you don't know Christ, He speaks to you. And He says, come to me. If you're saved, you say, well, I'm saved, but you don't know my weaknesses. You don't know this. You don't know that. doesn't matter. Lay it down. Surrender. Lay your life down to God. What is that in your hand? See, the I am is the answer to whatever you're not. He has the power, and you can begin to play. Thank you.